20, Exodus chapter 20. I'd like to spend a few moments talking about our worship, Exodus chapter 20. The chapter begins with God giving his people a microcosm of all that he expects of them in the Ten Commandments. And we spent a number of weeks studying the Ten Commandments. And note with me here in verse 18, Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 22, it reads, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Let's bow for prayer. O God, we bless you and praise you that the issue of our sin has been settled long ago and once for all. Lord God, I pray there are some in our midst this evening that have yet to settle the sin issue in their personal uh, life, I pray this day would be the day of their salvation. And Lord God, as we prepare our hearts for your table this evening, uh, fill us with your spirit that we might truly worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the following chapters here from chapter 20 all the way through to chapter 24 we have uh, principles of conduct day-to-day -day principles of conduct conduct um, in essence elaborating on the ten commandments that are given from verses 1 to verse 17 of exodus chapter 20 and this section from chapter 20 all the way through to chapter 24, has been uh, titled the, the Book of the Covenant. If you look at chapter 24, please, look at verse number 7. It reads, And he took the Book of the Covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So that's at the conclusion of this Section. So we have within this section principles of conduct. I guess you could uh, equate it to a, a manual of conduct. And this is what God expected of his people in practical areas. Now, as Christians, we are not bound by Old Testament law, nor are we under Old Testament law. God used the law 
summed up in the Ten Commandments to reveal our need for a saviour because of our sin. The law condemns us all as sinners and leads us to the only hope, which is Jesus Christ. And that's nicely summed up there in Galatians chapter 3, please. Go to Galatians in the New Testament, the third chapter. Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 to 26. Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 to 26. It reads, Wherefore then serveth the law? What is the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But, but, but before faith came, we were kept under the law. That is, the law condemns, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. We are not under the condemnation of the law. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So the law condemns us as sinners. The law reveals to you and I that we need God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can just simply go through the Ten Commandments and that condemns every man, woman and child on this side of eternity that we are sinners condemned before a holy God. And yet it's in that recognition of our condemnation we seek hope. And it's because we understand we have a need we seek a saviour. And therefore the Bible tells us that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The law condemns us as sinners and leads us to Jesus Christ and we receive Jesus Christ by faith and we are no longer under the condemnation of the law. Now most of what is incorporated in the Old Testament law is based upon God's eternal principles that carry on into the New Testament, either reaffirmed in some way or in principle or application. It's important to bear that in mind. Now, an exception would be dietary restrictions, were given specifically to the nation of Israel, but we, uh, in the New Testament economy, these restrictions do not apply. They have been abolished because each of these restrictions in some way foreshadow the coming Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. 
But an example of this um, reaffirming of Old Testament law within the New Testament, we have within the Old Testament the Jewish Sabbath, based upon the principle of six days' work, one day rest. And that principle was incorporated into the law. And therefore God's people were told to keep the Sabbath. We do not keep the Sabbath as Bible-believing Christians. We worship God on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. But yet the principle of six days work and one day rest, and in that day of rest, worship, that principle continues into the New Testament economy. The Bible teaches us all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That includes the Old Testament. So it's important for us to always bear in mind that most of what is incorporated in the Old Testament law, per se, here in chapters 20 to 24 of Exodus, for example, is based upon eternal principles that carry on into the New Testament, either reaffirmed in some way or principle and application. So with that in mind, what New Testament principles can we glean uh, from within this chapter this evening and the following chapters? We note here in verses 22 that back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel. What is it that God wanted his people to understand? And the first issue that he addresses here in chapter 20, from verses 23 to 26, is the issue of worship. Worship. God is uh, concerned about how we worship him. We can go through the motions of worship, but God is concerned that we worship God in a way that shows that he is worthy, that he is honourable. And that is the emphasis in verses 23 to 26. So before we move into chapter 21 where it talks about specific areas of conduct, we have here in verses 23 to 26 that God addresses via Moses the issue of worship. Note then verse 23 it reads, Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. So we have within this verse the first two commandments spelled out in um, chapter 20 uh, from verses 1 uh, down to verse number 5. So we have these first two commandments restated. And um, now we as New Testament Christians, we don't worship God with animal sacrifices. This was abolished with the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. John 1.29 But the principles of worship mentioned here 
are relevant to you and I as New Testament Christians as they were within the Old Testament economy. We have seen from the end of Exodus chapter 19 and as we read here in chapter 20 verses 18 to 22 that their awe of God was critical to godly worship. We see that God manifested himself uh, in verse 18. All the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. So God's people were, were confronted with the awesomeness of their God. And, and therefore this generated a fear of God, a, a healthy fear, reverence, honour for God. And this is at the heart of godly worship. So this is absolutely critical that you and I have a right mindset concerning our God if we are to worship God correctly and spiritually. So that's the essence of verses 18 to 22. I guess you could say that God put a fear of himself within the hearts of God's people. And, uh, and that's needful for you and I as well. Within the New Testament economy, uh, we need to have a right spirit concerning God and, and reverence him and honour him rightfully. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible teaches us. God is not a little God. He's big God. He's almighty God. God is awesome. That word awesome should only be set apart for God. Only God is awesome. Don't, don't go telling others that you're awesome. They're not. Okay? Awe. Think about it. Awe. Awesome. Only God is worthy of being considered awesome. So God revealed himself from verses 18 to 22 as the awesome God. And then from verse 23 to the end of the chapter, the issue of worship is addressed. Let's note some principles here. From verse number 23, as I've mentioned, the first two commandments are restated in essence here in verse number 23. You shall make with me, you shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. See, God is to be worshipped alone as the one and true and living God. Therefore, it was forbidden to make idols um, or images out of expensive materials such as silver and gold to reflect God. And, uh, and the principle here concerning worshipping God and worshipping him correctly is that we need to be mindful that God is spirit. There is no likeness to God. God stands alone. He is the awesome, almighty God. So therefore it was forbidden for God's people to make any kind of image that would... Uh, Draw hearts away from worshipping the one and true and living God. We can 
become object worshippers if we're not careful. Uh, a building, um, images, uh, furnishings, visuals, lighting, instruments. But God is spirit. When a person is born again by the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God indwells that individual. And because God is spirit and that person has been quickened by the Spirit of God, they can worship God. I can worship God. I don't need an image to aid my worship. And this is what was forbidden amongst God's people, that God is spirit and it was forbiddable for God's people to have images or icons that would point them to God. And unfortunately today we have churches that their focus is upon furnishings and creating a, I guess, ambiance that God is present by the way the building is structured and by the furnishings within the building. I was amazed shortly I was converted at the age of 14. I walked into a Baptist church, Metropolitan Baptist Church, and I was shocked that there were no crosses. <laughs> there were no images. There was no gold on the front stage. It was just a simple building that had a little stage and chairs and, and the simplicity of worship just blew me away. And, uh, and uh, we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. And the ability to worship God doesn't rest in uh, a building. It doesn't rest in images. It doesn't rest in furnishings or, or, or lighting or visuals. God is spirit and we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. So it's a spiritual issue that you and I need to be filled with the Spirit of God if we are to worship God who is spirit. And just because we are seated in a church service, it doesn't mean that we are worshipping. We can just be going through the motions. Are you here to worship? Or are you more so tired in mind than in a worshipful mindset? See, God is spirit and he's to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. God wants his people to, to get their worship right. So therefore, any kind of imagery was forbidden. Because God is spirit. So whether you are, uh, no matter where you are, you and I can worship God in spirit and in truth. Amen. That's a wonderful truth. And also note there, not only the issue of our worship being spiritual and you and I having a right spirit. There is the principle of sacrifice here in verse 24 that is highlighted. An altar of earth, Exodus 20, verse 24, an altar of earth thou shalt make unto me and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy 
peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen, and in all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. So we have to worship God in spirit. It's a spiritual issue. And you and I need to be in a right spirit. And I trust you've come to church with a right spirit to worship. That you're not just going through the motions. But also we see in verse 24 another principle. The principle of sacrifice. We worship God in spirit. We worship God sacrificially. Complete surrender. And in a right relationship with God. Let me ask you this evening, is God your life or is God just a part of your life? It was King David who said, Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God that does doth cost me nothing. Sacrifice. The reference here in verse 24 to burnt offerings. A burnt offering was a, a blood Offering an animal sacrifice, a, and the a burnt offering referred to the com, the complete uh, consuming of that animal sacrifice by fire, completely consumed. A burnt offering, and thy peace offering. This offering speaks of reconciliation, at peace with God, right before God. And if we are right before God, we will be right before fellow man. The principle of sacrifice, sacrifice is absolutely critical to godly worship. That we understand that we worship God in spirit. It's a spiritual issue. I need to be filled with the spirit. I need to have the spirit. And in having the spirit of God by faith in Jesus Christ, I need to be Filled with the Spirit of God. The ability of worship doesn't, doesn't rest on whether I'm seating on comfortable seating. Or whether there's air conditioning or not. Or whether it's in a facility that looks like a church or is simply a school hall. That's beside the issue. We can still worship in spirit. But also the principle of sacrifice. How are we sacrificing? If there's no sacrifice, there cannot be worship. Remember back there in Genesis chapter 22, as Abraham prepared to uh, sacrifice his son Isaac, he said, we go yonder to worship. Sacrifice, worship. The sacrificing of our time, the sacrificing of our talent, the sacrificing of our possessions. If absent in our lives, then how could we possibly worship God acceptably? What sacrifice or what sacrifices are you and I making in order to worship God? The principles there very clearly spelled out there in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 that many of us are very familiar with. Where it reads, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So the principle of sacrifice, what sacrifices are you making? Am I making? If there's no sacrifice, there cannot be worship. We worship God in spirit, we worship God sacrificially, but also go back there to Exodus chapter 20, and note then verse 25, we worship God in simplicity. I love this point. We worship God in simplicity. Note here in verse 25, of Exodus 20, it reads, And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone or cut stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. The altar for sacrifice was to be made out of natural, uncut, pieces of stone so that that altar upon which sacrifices were made to God would not become an attraction in and of itself and that becomes the focus instead of God being the focus we worship God in simplicity so whenever an altar was constructed within the Old Testament economy, it was forbidden to have a perfectly cut, prepared altar, level, square, and the rest of it. An altar was only to be constructed from just natural stone. Because the focus was not the altar, the focus was upon the God of the altar that's worthy of our worship. So the principle of simplicity. The idea today of lighting up stages that we see in many churches, professional musicians in churches, what are referred to as worship teams, that the audience look at and admire, just like we look at animals at Taronga Zoo and admire. Spending thousands of dollars on audio and visual aid in order to create an ambiance of worship is absolute nonsense. It takes the focus off God. So you worship God in simplicity. I remember hearing of a church that spent $25,000 on improving their stage lighting. $25,000 to improve their stage lighting in order to enhance worship. Beloved, that's not biblical worship. That's not biblical worship. We worship God in simplicity. My humble opinion is that's, that was a waste of $25,000. In order to create a worshipful setting. Because worship is spiritual. And if people have the Spirit of God and people are filled with the Spirit of God, whether it be in a barn or whether it be in a church building or whether it be in a community center, whether it be in a classroom or under a tree, we can worship God in spirit and in truth. And God is present. We worship God in simplicity. 
It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing, Jesus said. And I speak unto you, what I speak unto you are spirit and they are life. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. We worship God in simplicity. We worship God with a heart of sacrifice. We worship God in the spirit. And dwelt by the spirit. Fill the spirit of God. Consider the simplicity of a Christian service laid out within the pages of Scripture. We read in the book of Acts, they that gladly received his word were baptized. They were added to the church. And they continued in teaching, they continued in fellowship, they continued in prayer. They broke bread. Simplicity. Not complicated. Our spiritual forefathers were mocked and persecuted because of the simplicity and the lack of formality or liturgy in how they worship God. And see, this is a New Testament principle. We worship God in simplicity. It's not a matter of having purple lights. I'm not sure what, what is it about purple lights in churches. These churches spend all of this money lighting up their stages. At the end of the day, it's basically purple. <laughs> Don't understand it. Not against purple as a colour, but why purple? Some connection with purple and worship, I guess. Royalty, I guess. You know, Purple robes, maybe. I don't know. It's just nonsense. We worship God in spirit. We worship God in sacrifice. We worship God in simplicity. This is worship. We pray together, we sing together, we study the word together, we, bake, we break bread together. And what brings us all to life? The Spirit of God. We don't need gold. You don't need me to wave some smoke-containing instrument. We don't need visual as such. Not that I'm against visual. It's okay. They're in their place. It's a spiritual issue. See, and if you and I really have the Spirit of God, then we can worship in simplicity. That's why the building of an altar was not to be cut. Just natural. And last but not least, the principle of sanctification. Note then verse 26, it reads, Exodus chapter 20, verse 26. So we are to worship God in spirit, verse number 23. We are to worship God out of a heart of sacrifice, sacrificially, verse 24. We are to worship God in simplicity, verse 25. And in verse 26, we have here the principle of sanctification. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. The triune God is to be worshipped in the beauty of his holiness, within the heart of the believer. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
God's people were to be dressed appropriately and there was to be no room for the stirring up of lustful thoughts within the human heart. So therefore, in the building of an altar, just a little practical little point here, but there's a wonderful spiritual lesson for you and I, there were to be no steps up to the altar, lest flesh be exposed in some way. So there's the principle here of sanctification, purity. The Bible talks about not defrauding one another by what we do how we conduct ourselves what we wear 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 the Bible talks about being holy in body and soul and in spirit note there in Hebrews chapter 12 please go to Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 Hebrews 12, 14, it reads, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And then go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1. 2 Corinthians 7 1 reads, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The fear of God. So we worship God in simplicity, we worship God sacrificially. We worship God in spirit, possessing, being filled with the spirit. We worship God in sanctification. And as we approach the Lord's table, this is an opportunity for you and I to examine our own hearts that we might partake this memorial worthily.